The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Attention this morning to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Oh, how he loves you and oh, how he loves me. There was three songs in there. I know I got one of the three. I passed sort of, but it's there. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Turn there in your Kindle. Turn there in your smartphone. Or if you're like most of us, turn there on page, whatever it is for you. Uh, We are on page 61. If you're visiting with us, you do not have your Bible with you. We're on page 61 of the Blue Bibles. Uh, The big number, chapter 20, is the the chapter number. Small number, uh, verse 14, is the uh, verse number at that point. And so uh, just a couple quick announcements. uh, First off, I want to thank Gilbert uh, and his friend Noah, uh, who helped build this nice new cross up here. This is actual burned wood, by the way. So if you get a chance. So uh, his friend is named Noah. I asked him if it was gopher wood from the ark. And... uh, uh, if you know your Bible, you can laugh at that joke. It took Gilbert like 30 seconds to get that. We'll quiz him later. But thank you so much, Gilbert, for doing that. Uh, very much appreciate it. Uh, the old phone one is out in the, uh, the Welcome Center there. Also, is Luke here? Luke, can I pick on you for a second, brother? You know what this is about. I don't even have to do this. Uh, Luke is one of our newer members. We'll be a member here in about a month when he signs the official docs, all that stuff. Congratulations to you, sir. Luke and Michaela, you'll know his longtime girlfriend, just got engaged this past Friday night. So um, thank you. So Aaron, you can like rub it in a little bit more at home. So uh, it's all good. Brother, we love you. Oh, she's in the nursery. Okay, we'll rub it into her too in a good way. Congratulations. And uh, uh, if you have not met this couple, they're a godly couple. Aaron is too. You guys are so excited you're with us. So that's all my announcements. Isn't that great news uh, on a busy week? And friends, on a serious note, before we get started, I, I would be remiss in my pastor's duty, uh, duty as a pastor here today if I did not say, if we make today about a political rally for any candidate, any, any whatever, then we have missed the boat about why we're here today. Look, that stuff's important in its own right, but we are here today to preach, worship, and exalt Jesus Christ, and that's what it's about. I hope you agree with that, because this is not a political rally today. This is a rally of souls before the holiness of God, and that is what it's all about. I pray that you get that tenor. I pray you don't think, oh, Darren doesn't like politics. Politics has its place, but it's this place right now in this moment is about Jesus Christ. Amen? I hope you understand that difference. Well, talking about marriage, Luke, I was actually thinking about you today. And Luke, you actually break the trend on this, brother. Uh, It is no secret. I think many of you know. How many were uh, married, if you're married, before the age of 21? uh, I know we don't like doing show of hands in here. That's kind of different in our church. But yes, do you know the average age right now of marriage as we enter the seventh commandment is 26 and a half? Isn't that crazy? (laughs) Good. (laughs) <laughs> well, it, it, it depends on who you talk to. But you know, it is, I was married at 26. Natalie's a couple years older than me at 28 at the time. And so it is very interesting. People are getting older, married older now. Why is that? Do they want to memorize more Bible verses? Do they want to read more <laughs> marriage books? Probably not, unfortunately. Uh, it's not quite the case. Most people get married older today uh, especially those who name Christ, because they, they feel that they have become unholy by some acts that they have done. As we enter the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
we are touching on some ground that will touch on some issues in the church at large and in our church in particular, at any local church, that will really step on toes. Because, friends, this is a tough thing. Many don't want to commit to marriage because they feel free that they can do whatever they want with their life and their body at any place at any time. Let's just be frank about it. Let's be real. In fact, a 2013 government study, uh, for what it's worth, over many years of data focused on this question, what year are people getting married? And it said, quote, nearly half of women in what researchers called first unions with men, over 58% moved in with no wedding vows, according to the interview, between the years of 2006 and 2010. That was up to 58% from 43% in 2002 and 34% in 1995. Over one out of every two of the millennial generation or whatever that other generation is after, I don't know. uh, That is the prevailing thought. If you love each other, why do you have to get married? That's one issue we'll talk about today. But friends, there's another issue, and you'll see it up on the screen. Amy's going to put this verse up for you. Matthew chapter 5 says this. It says, But I say to you, Jesus speaking, that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's not just that the marriage age has changed. The visual perspective of what is available by three clicks of a mouse is immense and destroying families left and right. Look, people often say that Christians are anti-sex. Friends, that is not the case. Christians are the ones who understand just how sacred this thing that we believe marriage is called. God guards sex for our good. Look, if you've ever driven through the mountain passes of Colorado, you know that no one there curses God for those guardrails. Amen? That's why they have those big ramps those trucks can go up on and come back down. God loves to protect what is best for him. Lust wants a woman or a man in general, but love wants a particular person. Lust gets love gives. So what is the sin of adultery? Is it just as easy as just sleeping outside of marriage? Yes. But how do we proactively protect our families? How do we fight this on a personal level to God's glory? Friends, that's the big idea today. And we'll answer those questions in one shape or form. In Scripture, the distinguishing mark of God's people has always been, one of them at least, is how we view sex and marriage. We know that sex is cherished and a holy gift for which there must be boundaries to guard and sanctify it. If we were God... We would not save adulterers like David or murderers like David or religious terrorists like Thomas or deniers like Peter. But if you are here today and you have been suffering through something in the genre of sexual sin, dear struggling believer, there is hope for you. You are loved by God as the adulterer murderer David was, as the Jesus denying Peter was, and as the perfect God man Jesus Christ was loved perfectly by his father. There is hope, but you have to go through the source, Jesus Christ. So this seventh commandment, just like last week, we're going to answer some questions. Are you ready for these? Where are we headed with this today? First, we need to ask the question, because this often comes up, what makes God's laws good? Darren, if we're going to believe that marriage and the only time to have that type of activity, sexual activity, is within the bounds of a marriage, what makes God's laws good? Why can't I just be free to do whatever I want, when I want, with whomever I want? And why, what does this forbid? In other words, what does it prohibit? What is it limiting? And why is sex outside marriage really that bad? Do you see the culture questions coming in here? They're very, very relevant. And then fourthly, this is an application at the end. This is not, again, how they teach you to diagram a sermon in seminary, but this is the best way, I think, to practice out and cut this down to size. If you're with us, we are in the midst of studying the Ten Commandments. We are in number seven, the thou shalt not commit adultery. We studied the first commandment, no other gods. Second commandment, no graven images. The third, don't take God's name in vain. The fourth commandment, and you did get this today, by the way, to some degree, take a rest. 
take a Sabbath. I told my wife, I said, I don't know about them, but I get an extra hour to preach because the, co- the clock went back. So I hope you're okay with that. But you also have the fifth commandment, which is honor your parents, which is the institution at home and for life. And then the sixth commandment we talked about last week is don't murder unlawfully. With that in mind, if you're able to stand this morning in honor of God's word, would you join me in standing as we read uh, just one verse today for sake of time, one verse straight out of Exodus 20, chapter, chapter 20, verse 14. It's very straightforward. I'll read it a couple times, reading out of the ESV, the same version that is in the pews. It simply says, you shall not commit adultery. The King James says, thou shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. What does that mean? How does that apply to you? What does it not mean? Let's talk about that today as we study God's Word. Will you pray with me this morning as we go before the Lord? Father, this is a sobering message because there's not one person in here that is not affected by what we are talking about. Father, as with all the commandments, Lord, we pray that our hearts are set not just to do another checklist to be a good, pious person, although that is not a bad goal in itself. Father, our prayer this morning is that we ask what is the best thing to glorify you in all circumstances, especially as it relates to this commandment. Father, may our hearts be open. Father, for those who are struggling through this, maybe it's clicks on the internet, maybe it's something else, I don't know. But Father, I pray that you, by your Spirit, if they be yours, would show them through the Scripture what is of your Word. Father, for those who are struggling with a a past life of sin that have come out of things like that, Lord, I pray that Satan would not have any foothold in that, that your grace would cover a multitude of sins, not without consequence for sure, but Father, that your grace and love would cover a multitude of sins. Father, for those who may have been uh, born out of a wedlock relationship but are here in Christ, Father, trying to work through the possible shame of the past, whatever that may be, Father, may all that we have, as Peter says, cast all our anxieties, our concerns, our cares on you, for you care for us. Father, thank you for these dear people. Thank you for your word. We pray this all to the glory and honor of your name. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So that is the big question before us is, you know, we've we've talked about these Ten Commandments, and I thank you all so much for your feedback through this series, because this is not something you hear at most churches. That doesn't make us unique. That doesn't make us something that, you know, hey, look at us. I've shared with several of you several weeks ago, we have so many new visitors. We're up an average of almost 30 a week, week over week, compared to last year. Why is that? I I don't know, but I've had several pastors come in. What are you doing? What's so special about what you're doing? Friends, we're preaching the Bible. We're praying. We're worshiping. We're serving. We're sharing. All the things God told us to do. And this message right here is so hits home because every one of us has struggled with it. Look, there are pastors that I could name, and I'm not going to name them publicly from the pulpit. There are so many friends of mine that I know in the ministry who have suffered in this realm, who have fallen uh, publicly because of sins in this genre, that it is, it is immense. You know people who have left spouse or left children or left others because of what we're about to talk about here. It affects everybody affects the divorce rate. It affects everything that we have. So we need to ask that question first off. What makes God's laws good? Why is it important to understand that? Well, first, there's a general assumption, isn't there, in our culture that rules are bad, right? They really are. We love freedom in this country, and I think that's a good thing. We should cherish our freedoms as we have them, but we think real freedom is extinct when rules come to bear. And true freedom, we think, comes from throwing off all the things. You know how it is. When you tell a kid, don't touch that thing, what are they going to do? Touch that thing. And adults, it's the same thing. Don't check your phone at work. What do we end up doing? We end up checking our phones at work or whatever it is. 
So that is the first myth we need to free ourselves from, church. We need to realize that we are the more free when we act free, or the myth is we are more free when we act free of any rules. That's the myth. That's what people say. Well, if I, if I could just get around these laws, that's why people go buy thousands of acres out in the middle of nowhere because they don't want to be under any rules. Friends, rules are not bad if they're done in their proper context, but there are two, these are two deeply ingrained myths that we're going to look at that are all so true, and we need to review because for most of you today to thrive in your spirituality, you need to divorce yourself from the culture. I don't remember who it was in the line last week, but someone said, you know, it's not that these truths are hard, Darren, but it's that we have swallowed this culture so much that we have to really digest ourselves or cleanse ourselves out of it. You know, I gave that illustration a few weeks ago about the fish, and there's no fish picture for you, but if a fish decides that it's sick and tired of being constrained to the land and hops onto the shore for one day, or the ocean, and hops on the shore for one day, its freedom is going to be short-lived, isn't it? It says, well, if I could just get to land, then my life would be much, much better. But if you try to set a fish tree by taking it out of the water and putting it on the land, you're not helping it, you're killing it, right? Friends, the fish is freest when it's in the water because it's designed to be in the water, and that is the truth. Look, any myth that says we are freest when we operate independent of rules is not something that God's Word says. That's why many people struggle with this, because many of you grew up in churches where legalism abounded, where rules that should have been more uh, along the fact of, of freedoms in Christ became a legalistic rule. And look, we have commands of Scripture. May we not use those to the detriment of our brother or sister. But at the same time, God gives us rules because here's the takeaway. Real freedom is established not in living by our desires, but in God's design. You were designed to love someone else. You were designed to love a particular person in your life. Many of you have been married for many, many years. But myth number two is this from our culture. It says our desires are the grade A track to knowing what is best for us. Look, from the time we are born, whether it's, is it Ariel? Ariel, mermaid, uh, the Disney story? Or Miley Cyrus, if that's even her name anymore? To Oprah Winfrey, all tell us the same thing. The way to happiness is to follow our hearts. That's a scary proposition, friends. The Bible says that is a dangerous mess. Actually, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it or who can know it? As your heart might desire a lot of bad things. Look, I have a strong desire for fatty foods. I'll just be honest. You say, Darren, it doesn't look like it. Well, I do. Uh, someone gave us a gift for Pastor Appreciation Month. It was pizza, which thank you. Uh, you know who you are. Uh, my wife, who is pregnant, and I, we consumed that pizza pretty quickly because we both were just hungry for these things. But, you know, if I go out to dinner and my body tells me I need a 14-ounce ribeye and I need to follow it up with a blooming onion smothered in blue cheese with a side of uh, clarified butter, my doctor's probably not going to be very happy with me, is he? But my doctor's going to tell me, go to the salad bar, get those gorgonzo beans. Is that how you say that? And alfalfa, alfalfa sprouts. I can't even talk today. But doctor, I want to listen to my heart. My heart says fatty foods, but my doctor says, no, Darren, don't do that. You get the idea. Our culture says our desires are the best way to know what is best for us. Friends, that is so not true. I mean, think about it. How many of y'all have not been cut off by a driver or been driving behind that driver, that's me, that goes like 54 in the 55 mile an hour zone and drives you nuts? Look, when you pull up to the light, you feel like getting out of the car, beating that guy like a rented mule and getting back in your car. That's what you feel like doing. 
But it doesn't mean that's what you should do or I should do or that's what is helpful. But I've got to be true to myself, the culture says. Well, sometimes yourself is wrong, isn't it? Friends, my desire today, my point is we desire all kinds of things. We really do that are harmful for us. Why would we think that sexual desires are always right? They're not. Let me ask you, do you have time in your life that you followed your heart and got you in trouble? Maybe it was at the buffet line like I do most times. But my point is this, God's laws are good. They're not meant to be restrictive. They are freedom for us, not captivity. They are designed by a good and loving God who knows us inside and out. In fact, He created us to the point at which He knows what we need. They lead to our blessing, not our misery. Now, that's our framework. As we go to the next question, that is our framework. God's laws are good. Do not believe the culture that says you must follow your heart. Your heart will get you in trouble. Uh, If you're a Cubs fan this week, you say, I've loved them for 108 years. Your heart might have got you right this one time, but let's see how long it takes them again to win that title, guys. That's all I'm going to say about that. Royals are next year. So what does this forbid? What does this commandment forbid? We know that God's laws are good. What does this commandment forbid? It's very straightforward, but thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not commit adultery. A lot of people have a question regarding this. What pastor does this forbid? Does this the command says not to commit adultery. That's pretty straightforward. I mean, anyone gets that, which is having sex with someone who's married to someone else. But what else is off limits, Pastor? I mean, really, how far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend before I break this commandment? Friends, if that's the question you're asking, you're already headed the wrong way. What if you're engaged? And what about homosexuality? Is that included as well? I want to break these down. But as I said, what this commandment is doing is not necessarily focusing on what is prohibited, what is not allowed, but is what is affirmed, what is good in this commandment. There's an understanding of marriage that goes back to the very first part of time. The first chapters of Genesis, Adam and Eve. You remember the story. It's a marriage between one man and one woman, right? That is it. There's nothing else there. And yes, despite what History Channel tells you, that literally did happen. It's not some big allegory or symbolism. It really did happen. But we sell ourselves in this commandment short because we feel it only in terms of negative. We see don't commit adultery and we're like that kid that says, hey, don't touch that light. And what's your kid do? turns the light on five times and gets a big spanking on the bottom. That's how it goes. Friends, behind this is a very positive command. God created sex. He created it, the pleasure in it, and he knows how it will best work. And that's our application point right up here. God doesn't outlaw sexual sin because he's a cosmic killjoy. He opposes it because it kills joy. Hope you see that difference. So what is off limits, Pastor? Friends, simply any sex outside of his original design, which is between one man and one woman married for life, and I'll define those a little bit more in a minute, is off limits. It is one man, one woman united for life. I'm going to use a word here. It's the New Testament word, Matthew 5. In the New Testament, the word for sex outside of marriage is the word pornea. I don't need to spell that out for you so much, but we get the words pornography and fornication out of that. It's a junk drawer word. You all have junk drawers at your house, right? You do, where you throw everything you don't want or don't care about. That's exactly what this word is. It means any sex outside of marriage of a man or a woman is not there. So what are some examples? Friends, I'm going to list some specific examples. I know we have some younger listeners here. I'm not, I've tried to really make it specific, but not enlightening that parents shouldn't have that talk with. But what are some examples here? that the Bible forbids. You know, sometimes college students, especially on, especially on secular campuses, come out and say, well, but, but what if we don't go all the way? What if we just, uh, you know, um, what if we just uh, see how far we can get without going that far? 
Friends, what you're doing is considered sexual. It's called pornea. Maybe that's an overstatement, but at this point, I'm not ruling out harmless demonstrations of affection, but it's like I've told you before. When you cross that line from affection to foreplay, and you know it, you have crossed the line into what this commandment forbids. And I've told you before, some people will say, but we really love each other. You might, but have you united yourself in marriage? If not, that is pornea, that is adultery. But we're engaged. Is engaged different from marriage? Yes, it is. Actually, it is. And if anything outside of that happens, it's pornea. Look, when you sign a contract on the house, but you haven't closed on it, you can't move your stuff in. Do you see what I'm saying? What about friends with benefits? There's a movie called this, friends. How vile we are in our society. Don't ask dumb questions. I mean, honestly. What about homosexual marriage? This is a very legitimate question. The Bible is very clear, very, very clear, that sex is between one man, one woman, united in marriage. Anything other than that, even in a loving homosexual marriage, is pornea. You say, or someone says, you know, Jesus never talked about homosexuality. That's a very interesting comment because you hear that a lot from the social media and the liberal media. But friends, he most certainly did. Eleven times in the Gospels, eleven times, one, one times in the Gospels, Jesus affirms the first five books of the law, the Pentateuch's view of understanding of blessed sex is between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that is considered pornea. It sits home, doesn't it? It really does. Friends, all of us have been down this road. All of us have been tempted to do or say or act or view or, or experience things that we know outside of that. Friends, that's why as a pastor we hold to the fact that we will not marry anyone who is living together. We will ask them to separate. Why? We understand there's economic difficulties. We understand those things. Why do we do that? Because we're old traditional guys, and I like to quote those old dead guys, and I want to be an old dead guy after every one of those conversations. No. It's because anything living together with the intent that you will not do anything that is unholy is hard to do except if you're separated. But yet 58% of people are living together before marriage. Well, we got to try it out first. No, you don't trust that God is sufficient. He's already worked out the details. He can carry you through everything, including that. we got to get to know each other better. That knowing each other better is going to lead you to things that you don't want it to lead it to outside of God's will. If you're a Christian, never live together. That is not an old... Look, I'm not a 1950s slicked-back hair preacher that stomps on the pulpit, bangs on the pulpit, all those things, throws his Bible at people. I'm not doing that today. Friend, I'm just saying, if you know someone who claims the name of Christ, who's tempted to live that way, lovingly but boldly say, friend, that is not the direction you want to go. That is not the direction. So let's answer the bigger question. So we've seen what makes God's laws good. He created them after all. What does this forbid? Anything that is outside one man, one woman, visually or physically. Now, why is outside sex of marriage bad? Why is it bad? Let's go into that number three. People understand, you know, some people will come and say, Pastor, I get the not killing thing. Like, okay, I'm not going to kill my best friend today. You know, I get that, even if it's in anger. But what's wrong with two consenting, loving adults coming together in this way? Friends, for a lot of people, this makes them doubt God's goodness. It really does. Because we like that our plans are better. We have this thought that I've got this figured out. He makes arbitrary rules, they say, so I can do whatever they want. Friends, I just want to tell you today, here's why sex outside of marriage is bad. Because sex is not just biology. My wife is biology major. I will not get into the science of all that. That's not our purpose here today. But the Apostle Paul, 
and as do all the writers of Scripture, explain to us that God created us in His image. We are made like Him. And marriage that is like that is itself divine and eternal. Look, we will not be held in marriage as the Mormons believe. We believe that once we go to heaven, we will no longer be in marriage. There's no eternal marriage as some believe. But we need to understand that it does reflect eternity, the eternal God and what He stands for. Friends, if we knew and believed that, then our lives would be much deeper, would be much, much different. Friends, for example, in Exodus, in the earlier chapters, God tells us several things. He says, especially in Exodus chapter 6, He tells His people, I will bring you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I will be the one to take you to be mine. And what's interesting about the Jews, they would never even consider this to be a thought uh, of sex outside of marriage because they knew that God was the one who would take them seriously if they would take Him seriously. But they use those four phrases, I will bring you out, I will rescue you, I will redeem you, and I will take you to be mine in their wedding vows. They say it. God is calling out a bride. And here's something else, the whole mountain when God gave this commandment with those four things in it, was covered with thick smoke and the brightness of God's glory. Where am I going with this? When the Jewish people got married, they took a prayer shawl and put on four poles, and they hold it over the head of the bride and the groom. It's called a, a Patricia, I'm probably going to miss this, because hoopa, thank you. It's a hoopa, not hookah, hoopa, not the smoking device, the prayer <laughs> wedding device. Because that's, yeah. Um, Friends, this whole relationship from the very beginning, even in Jewish marriage in the Old Testament, was set up that way. And at the end of Revelation, when God takes His people into heaven, the first thing they participate in is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, the marriage supper of Jesus. And we are going to eternal honeymoon with Him forever and ever and ever. What is my point? Earthly marriages were given to us as a picture of God's relationship to us. And any violation of that is a violation of what God has for us. So where is this breakdown? Amy, you're going to get your point by points here. Friends, there are three parts of a marriage relationship that mirror three parts of God's relationship with us because sex is not just about biology. It really is not. In fact, there are three things that come in. The first thing that happens in a marriage is this. You become a complete union. You are totally fused together, if you want to use that phrase. Total oneness. You stand at the altar and what is hers becomes his and all that is his becomes hers. Your futures, your families. Yes, even your bank accounts, your past, your possessions, and even your pets occasionally. That happens in marriage. And your bodies, most importantly. Well, the final element is all physically you become one. I don't want to be graphic, but when, when true intimacy happens in a marriage, you literally interlock and you become one. I think you know that. There is a fusion, and the oneness of body is a part of a better thing. Everything in your life becomes one. You are fused together. But secondly, there is exclusivity. There is exclusivity in marriage. What does that mean? When I got married to Natalie, I told her I will have her and no one else. And that's it. That makes sense when you talk about sex and adultery, right? Even if you're not married or, or when you're having sex with someone, you don't want them playing the field on you. Even secular people agree with this. Girls, you don't want a guy that walks up to you and says, baby, of all the girls that I sleep with, well, I think you're my favorite. We would look at that and say, are you kidding me? Exclusivity is part of that relationship. Husband, wife, when you committed to each other, you committed to each other for a lifetime together. But what else does marriage do? It brings unconditional acceptance. 
And this is harder for some marriages than others. It really is. But what's supposed to happen in marriage is you experience unconditional acceptance because someone sees you exactly for who you are and loves you anyway. And bless my wife, that happens more on her side than it does on mine because she accepts me more for who I am. I've told you before that human beings have a deep desire to be known and loved. This is most often seen in sex, friends. You see, when you have sex, you are naked. And in nakedness in the Bible is a full disclosure of who you are. When you are naked with someone and you're seeing them, I see all of you and I accept you as you are. I love you over all those things and I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am yours. That's what it is. Husband, your wife may not look the same as she once did, but you love her anyway. Not just because that's the good Christian thing to do, but because guess what, Christian? God loved you anyway when you sinned and messed up all the same, didn't he? Wives, you love your husband even though he's not all that he was cracked up to be when you first married him. Maybe he's got a gut on him now, okay? Maybe he's not as strong as he used to be. Those are superficial things. It goes deeper than that, but you understand the point. So how does this relate to our relationship with God? This is what happens. Friends, you see these three words. These are descriptive words about our relationship to God through Christ. We are totally in union, fused together in our relation through Christ alone. God completely unites us to himself. And again, it's an intimate union you can imagine. He lives inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see these parallels? There is exclusivity. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. There is no other God that you can bring before him in your relationship to him to worship him honorably and rightly and in spirit and in truth. And finally, there is unconditional acceptance for all those who come to Christ. God sees us for all that we are. Look, he doesn't have to guess that we're sinners, folks. He doesn't have to guess about that. In all of our inglorious nakedness and shame, he loves us just as we are, but he doesn't want us to stay there. That's the key phrase. You often hear pastors say, come just as you are. Sure, come, bring it all to Christ, but he does not want you to stay there if you truly know him. Here's the point. Sex is a reverberation or an echo of God's love. It is. That is what it's all about. And so every human being, not just Christians, a human being created in the image of God, sex is an echo of God's love. We are not just animals, friends. We are not just evolution gobbledygook that came together. You know, I was watching, I, I told you before, I, when my wife sleeps, I sometimes like to put on the audio of some Discovery Channel things just to trigger the mind a bit, listen to Scripture before I fall asleep. So watching a Discovery Channel show about the mating of peacocks. Uh, great bedtime reading or listening, if you ever... You know, the male spreads his tail feathers and he dances around and he, he makes all these bird noises and does whatever the peacocks do. And there's a point at which, the, there's no point, rather, at which the female says to the male, you know, I just really need to know you want me for more than just my body. Why? She doesn't say to him, I don't like the way you've been looking at some of my jungle bird friends, you know. He doesn't say that. They don't go off, have a picnic, uh, do the deed, and then cuddle up and talk about they're going to build a life together and change the jungle and be top of the food chain. They don't do that. Because for them, peacocks, it's just biology. It's what they're made to do. It's a propagation of their species. Friends, as we understand this commandment, sex for us is different, and you know that, because we are made in the image of God. When you reduce sex to just biology or a good time, you dehumanize us. Men, this is why pornography is so dangerous. That woman that you're seeing and, and participating in an act with is someone's daughter, is someone's granddaughter, someone's sister, brother, whatever you do with that. Look, 
That's why pornography, men, is so, so dangerous. This is why, men, I encourage you, if you have not already, get, if, you ha- if you have iPhones, I can show you how to do this right after service. If you have iPhones, you give your wife that password to block all things that are on there. That's why you give your computer, uh, uh, Covenant Eyes, there's one out there, Covenant Eyes, look it up if you need it. If you don't have that software blocking everything on here, block it. Because I have known pastors who have innocently clicked on things that have turned into things that have turned into things that have turned into things and a divorce and a remarriage later have greatly humiliated the Lord that they call to serve. Men, be very, very careful. And we'll talk about this more in a minute, but men, be very, very careful. Look, people often think the Bible has too low view of sex, but friends, I am here to tell you the Bible, when understood sex in its proper place, we don't need to loosen up. We don't need to realize how awesome sex is because, look, God has an highly extreme view of sex itself when done in the proper boundaries at the proper time. It's a beautiful and mysterious going on that literally puts you in touch with the divine. Not in some sadistic way, not in some, uh, 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 the Moonies out in South Korea, they believe in, in ways that is, look, we're talking biblically here. Friends, God's plans for you are good. God's plans for you are very, very good. That's why I used to tell girls in our youth group, don't believe anything a guy says after 8 o'clock. And I'm being serious. Oh, but he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. He really does. I know it. Girl, if he really loves you, he'll guard your purity and be willing to wait for you for marriage. That's what real love looks like. Let me make this perfectly clear. The problem with the guy that you're sitting next to right now who's sleeping with you or wants to sleep with you before marrying you does not love you, even to the point of pouring your purity first, is going to set up problems for the rest of your life. And you need to look at him as soon as this message is over and you can say to the pastor, said this, get out of my life, you selfish jerk, or make amends and run to the cross. Ladies, be very careful, even at an older age. So that's where we've been. Let's apply this and let's, let's, let's dig into this. Friends, God's laws are good. We know that because He created them. There's a proper boundary. It's not about the prohibition as much as the, uh, the good stuff. What does this forbid? What does this commandment forbid? We said it's pornea. Anything outside of one man, one marriage, visually or physically, is anything bad. And why is outside of marriage really bad? Because sex is not just about biology or getting an experience. It's about living out the design in the image of God. But now we apply it. We land the plane. And we will land it better than uh, uh, Tom Cruise did in, in you know, uh, whatever that plane movie he was, Top Gun. We will land it better than that. We won't fly by the tower, but we will make a landing. And it may screech a little bit. It may hurt your ears a little bit. But you need to hear what is about to be said as much as I need to hear this. Flip over to Matthew chapter 5 as we close out the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. We read this verse at the very start. But I, I need you to read this with me, and I need you to underline this with me if you have not already. How does this apply to you? We've, we've mentioned some basic application points, but what is the overall thrust of this command, especially in the 21st century visual world? Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 uh, through verse 30. Jesus says this. This, of course, is a Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's not reinterpretation, if you will, but the further teaching of God's Word to the people. One of his most famous sermons, Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. That's our theme. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 28. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And verse 30, And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than your whole body go to hell. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As a college kid, and that hasn't been that long ago for me, although it seems like an eternity at times, these verses almost drove me to despair. Saying, don't lust after a woman to a college man would be like saying, don't breathe. Just being transparent with you. Then you mix in the part about going to hell, and then Jesus drops stuff about cutting your, your eyes out. And, your, and what is he talking about? I mean, seriously, Jesus, is that really what you're saying? Friends, if we apply this verse just as it's written here, every guy would be blind in a matter of minutes, right? Guys, let's be honest about this. A girl walks, a girl sashays, I think is a better word, into church one morning wearing one of those tight little outfits they just melted themselves into in the last hour. And wearing, a, or wearing skinny jeans, which I refer to as ankle-length panties, if you will. And she walks down the aisle of the church, and all the guys are just staring at her, trying not to let their, their wife take a look at their eyes. Of course, they, you know, they're here and they're there and everywhere else. And they leave a little trail of male eyeballs popping out as they walk down the floor. It's true. Guys, we, I don't know. I'm just trying to be honest here, guys. I'm not trying to say anything that's not here. It makes us uncomfortable because we are guys. We are visual guys. So how do I apply that? Plus, I thought, you know, blind people are fully capable of lusting you, so how does popping their eyeballs fix this? I mean, it sounds silly, but think about this. How does this apply? It's not saying don't desire. It's not saying don't look with great anticipation. It's not saying, it's not saying don't go mentally through a, a sex act with someone who's not your spouse. Well, let me say it again. It's not saying don't desire, but it is saying don't look with great anticipation. It is saying don't mentally go through the sex act with someone else who's not your spouse. And friends, this is very serious. This is not just Jesus being theatrical, being pastor speak, being, he's being very serious. And what he's getting at is this. Sex has a way of taking over our lives. Sex very quickly becomes a God to us. It becomes an idol. Remember, we have said this almost every week. The idolization is the bottom foundation of everything here. An idol is anything you delight in most. It's whatever makes you happy you can't live without. It's whatever you obey whenever obedience comes. And for many of you here today, sex is that thing. Many, romantic love and sex is what they feel they could not be without. A girl is willing to give her body away to feel better about herself, the attention a guy gives her. Or she's willing to leave a marriage or her kids to get romance elsewhere. For many, sex is the best beauty. So a guy takes it to himself even if it means breaking the laws of God. For many girls, though, it's not that they desire beauty, but they want to be beautiful because their daddy didn't tell them that. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And they become obsessed with it. They work out all the time. They go to extreme measures to try to stop aging or get jealous of others who are more beautiful, and they get depressed if they're not that way. Or they can't resist a guy who flatters them with their beauty. Friends, there's nothing wrong, ladies, here today about being beautiful or sexy within its own biblical right, but when it becomes one thing you can't live without, that has become your God. It's displaced him. For many, sex is a thing that commands their obedience. So a guy can't quit looking at internet porn because sex calls and he, like a faithful worshiper, he answers. Sex has become his God. And Jesus says in these verses that we just read, it starts with a desire in the heart. That's why the stuff about hell. Friends, this is the first application point. Sexual desire, left unchecked, gradually becomes 
and consumed your heart and commands your obedience to the point it becomes more of a God to you than God himself is. Some of you are there right now, and I mean no shame in saying these words. I don't want you to feel beat down, although if the Spirit is doing the Holy Spirit's fact-down thing, then praise the Lord for that. That's a great evidence of your salvation. To say you're committed to God, you're a Christian, even in seminary or college, but guys, sometimes be honest, and I'm speaking generally across the board here, when, when it calls, guys, especially, we answer, whether that's online, whether that's in our mind, at work, whether that's, we answer at the restaurant when that lady walks by, we give some surface level regret, don't we, but never real repentance that says, I obey this more than my God. Some of you are in the midst of a memorial relationship, you're flirting at work, you need to stop that right now, if you're married. You need to stop. You know you should not, but you won't or you can't. Why? Because it's your God. You can't live without it. Or some of you are thinking about leaving your marriage that you've committed to because my wife or my husband just doesn't act or treat me the same. Look, that may be true on both accounts. I'm not disregarding those things. And the Bible teaches that divorce is wrong unless there's a very specific set of criteria. See our sermons online, Tower BKC, from this past June. But you feel you have to have a real sexual love. You can't live without it because that has become your God. It's an idol. It's an idol. Some of you won't leave your relationship, but you love those, those uh, harlequin books, those trashy romance novels and romance movies because you vicariously live to get experience, love, and sexual intimacy through them, and you secretly long to leave your story and go be part of one of them just like that. Ladies, stop that. Look, your husband is never going to be, what is that guy? I can't believe it's not butter. He can't be Fabio. Look, if your husband's Fabio, great. Uh, for the rest of us, that doesn't leave much hope, right? And I'm being serious. Friends, I used to, I, I'm just full disclosure. I, I told my mom, I've never invited my mom to church. because I share more about my story than I probably do with her, but uh, she'll remember this. But in 2002, we had a, we had a garage sale uh, at our church. And I don't know how these found their way in the church. Someone just wanted to get rid of them without the shame. They found a lot of those, those, those dollar romance books that are just, just terrible. Don't read those, please. Uh, and I ended up selling them on eBay. I had no idea what they were. And I started my eBay career selling those books. Uh, we have a bookseller in here, and he knows how hard it is to sell on eBay. But those were easy sellers because I, what is about these books? And finally, my mom, bless her heart, found one of those books and said, what are you doing selling this stuff? I said, Mom, is that the church garage sale? They just were going to throw it away. It's free money. Sometimes you don't know what you're doing when you're doing it. But praise God for godly moms. I will tell you that all my eBay rating went up through the roof because I was selling by the box. I mean, this person brought like 500 of these trashy novels. True story. But you don't know what you're getting into. Look, friends, it is, be careful. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Even if, look, even if you're that person that says, I, I, I can't, I'll watch this movie, but I'll fast forward through those parts. Be very, very careful. Seriously, Be careful. They have new software out there where you can cut out things. Be careful. Look, I am not trying to be legalistic on you, but I am trying to be holy with you. I'm trying to be real with you as well. Look, sex is your God if that's how you feel. Friends, if you realize sex in a romantic place, it has God, what did Jesus tell you to do? He said to radically go to war against it. That's what he said. That means metaphorically cutting off your hands, cutting off the things that provoke you. Some of you, that means cutting off the internet completely. That means taking a dumb phone. Some of you all have those dumb phones. You know what I'm talking about. Those phones from uh, like 1977 that, that are as big as a tank. and Call people on that if that's what it takes to get you away from your thoughts. 
you need to get in one of our groups here and be accountable. You need to break up with that guy. But listen, these are external changes will only go so far. You need to return to the first commandment, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Put him above all things. Then your heart will be set right. Because your soul is not right with God, you crave these things that are all sex outside of marriage. Remember, sex is a picture. It's a wonderful one. But friends, the last application point, and I'll end with this, is that when we desire, what we desire in sex, we find in Jesus. Now that sounds funny. When I wrote that out, it sounded funny to me, but I want you to understand what I'm saying. There is only one kiss, there's only one set of arms that can fulfill your heart and your heart's needs. He is ultimately beautiful, he's ultimately holy, and he intimately craves the intimacy that you desire and it's found in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you are trying to find anything else, fulfillment in your life, whatever it is, you need to repent and believe the gospel that Christ died for your sins. Christians, you need to remind yourself of the gospel daily, especially those of you struggling in this area. Whatever lift you get emotionally or biologically from an act that is not inside marriage will drown you out for the rest of your life apart, the great, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Girls, stop being so dependent on and dominated by guys. You will be able to make wise choices. God has given you that too. Girls, you are not ready to date until you are ready to not date. That's a whole other sermon. If you yourself cannot stand up and be okay with you and God through His Son, Jesus Christ, for the rest of your life, you are not ready for marriage. Guys, it's the same for you as well. Guys, when you are filled with the largest and majesties of God's presence, you'll be able to control your, like that light switch. Instead of the kid running up saying, doo, 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 you'll be able to turn it off just like that. Boom. Just like that. Amy, if you'll go to the picture of the lady at the very end, we'll skip this next thing. There is a great story in John chapter 8. Many of you know it. It's the woman caught in adultery. And let's, let's be theological. Let's be biblical here. Matt and seminary guys know this. That's debated scripture. Is that, should that be in the scripture? Should it not be? But for sake of argument, let's say it should be. John chapter 8. This woman was caught in adultery, and they're getting ready to stone him, and they brought her to Jesus. You remember the story? And, and Jesus said, what, they said to Jesus, what are you going to do with them, this lady? And Jesus started writing in the sand. We don't know what he was writing. It was, it, there's several, I think the best guess, if it's, this is to be taken as scripture, and that whole argument's another thing, friends, but it, the best guess is he was writing down the sins of the Pharisees and those people who brought her. And what did they do one by one? They started dropping their, their stuff, didn't they? Started dropping their rocks. Boom, 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 boom. John chapter 8, verse 11, she said, no one, she, Jesus said, um, uh, Jesus said, who is going to condemn you? And she said, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Some of you say, but I've messed up. Let me look closely by taking the sin of that woman, friends. Let's break that down. Notice the order. He speaks words of tender love and acceptance. Neither do I condemn you. And that changes her. He forgives her and makes her a new creation and because of that gives her a whole new approach to sex. She was a prostitute, adulterer. I don't want you to walk out of here beat up by your sexual mistakes. I don't want you to walk out of here realizing that, I do rather want you to walk out of here realizing that Christ has made you a new creation. That is not an excuse for any of the sins we've listed. It's not an excuse for any of that, but it is a reminder, Christian, that there is forgiveness in Christ. Not as, oh man, great, someone has forgiven me. It's not cheap grace. but it is a loving Savior. There is a true story, from what best I can understand, about a man who had been married to a woman very many, many years. Their marriage was average and not great. The intimacy was not that great, but they were married. Partially because the woman had a deep, dark secret. She had had a sustained affair earlier in their marriage, unbeknownst to her husband. 
and she had repented of it and cut it off long ago. They had been married 30, 40 years by this point, been decades before. But she could never tell her husband and never did. So one day, she couldn't bear it anymore. She'd heard a sermon very similar to this, and she decided she couldn't hide it anymore. So after church, she confessed it to him. But all the while, scared that he would leave her because of it. Now, guys, I, I cannot imagine that situation. They were at their, their kitchen sink table, their breakfast table, whatever you call it. What was his thought? He was obviously devastated, as she told him. And he got up quietly, as most men would do, and he just walked out. She thought she'd never see him again. He walked out to the car and left. Just get out of Dodge. He left. And she wondered how to explain to their kids, who are now grown, some still in the household, what had happened to their dad. Several hours later, as she was getting ready to bed, she heard the door open. And he came in, and he didn't say a word to her. He was carrying a bag. He took her to their bedroom, completely undressed her. Then he took out a beautiful satin nightgown, pure white, that he had just purchased and put her on her and said, I choose to see you as my Savior, Jesus Christ, sees you. And their marriage lasted another 25 years until death do them part. Friends, Jesus died to make you a new creation, to forgive and cleanse you, embrace it, and begin to have that new life. Some of you need to forgive in that sense. It doesn't make up for any wrongs, but you fight for your marriage. You fight for your marriage. Have sex that grows out of the love of God and mirrors and reflects that to others and you are following this commandment. Guys, God is good in the proper time, especially in this commandment. Let us pray. Father, once again, we're having a longer sermon today. Father, it's hard to not with a lot of these things, but Lord, I thank you that we can walk through this knowing that you are the faithful God, knowing that you are the good God, knowing that you are the one who has set us all right in Christ if we be in Christ. So, Father, I first pray for those without Jesus. Father, whether it is sexual sin, whether it is stealing or, or, or idolization, Father, we have all sinned, and one sin breaks us from you, James 2.10. But, Lord, I thank you that although one sin breaks us, that one death, Romans 5 tells us, was the death of deaths for all mankind through Christ. I pray for those without Christ that they would see the beauty of the gospel through the revelation of the only Son of God, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those this morning who are struggling with sexual sin. I pray they'd be honest. I pray they'd talk to a pastor. I pray they would talk to a Sunday school or a deacon. Father, I pray that to your honor and to your glory. I pray for ladies in here struggling with acceptance in their marriage, intimacy in their marriage, that they would not feel the need to go outside, but through the hard work and churning of that marriage, they would find fulfillment one to another. And as 1 Corinthians 7 says, fight Satan together in that act. Father, there's so much to be said here, but I pray that as we follow you, we would know you better through this time. Father, protect our families, protect fellow pastors and church leaders from the sin, both legal and illegal, Father, I pray. Father, we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. Help us to do so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.